everybody, and welcome to Flashes of DEI, a podcast where we explore topics and ideas related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. My name is Katie. I use they, them, their pronouns, and I serve as a director in the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Flashes of DEI. My name is Amwaba Gooden. I use she, her, and hers pronouns, and I serve as the vice president of the Division of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. Yeah, and today we are talking about International Women's Day, which takes place each year on March 8th. It's a day where across the world we're asked to honor and celebrate the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women, and in some observances, advocate and rally for more. And even though this episode is definitely dropping after the official celebration, we thought it would still be important to talk about it. So today we're joined by uh, some amazing fellow flashes that I'm super excited to talk to. Uh, would you all mind introducing yourselves for our listeners? Hi, uh, my name is Gumiko Monobe. Uh, I am an associate professor at Teaching Learning Curriculum Studies. I go with she, her, hers. And um, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Cassie Peg Kirby, and I'm the director of the Women's Center. And I use she, her, hers pronouns. And uh, as Kamiko said, really excited to be a part of this conversation and here with all of my fabulous colleagues and friends. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Charmaine Crawford, uh, Associate Professor in Africana Studies and also the director of the Institute of African-American Affairs. And I'm so happy to be on this podcast. Thanks, Gamiko, Cassie, Charmaine, for joining us. Uh, we're honored that you've agreed to spend some time with us talking about International Women's Day. We've got a lot to talk about, so let's <laughs> jump right in. So can you share with me uh, what International Women's Day means to you? This day is actually reminds me the beginning of my journey to come to this country, as well as I think about many women and journeys, personal and also the collective journey of mm -hmm. the, their lives. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it, it's just the commitment to the empowerment of girls and women and also the fight for gender equality. So it's two prong in terms of celebrating women's lives the world over. And at the same time, recognizing there's still a lot of unfinished business to do mm -hmm. in relation to looking at how women are marginalized in, in mostly all areas of society and, you know, strategizing around how we could mitigate some of those inequalities. Yeah. Yeah. I find it difficult to follow my two colleagues here, but <laughs> from where I sit, uh, it was always interesting to me that this was something International Women's Day that we really don't talk about much uh, in the United States. Yeah. And thinking about the importance of coming together to advocate for one another and the importance of having an awareness of sort of the global impact of gender inequity. I know like the UN Sustainable Development Goals, it's number five. Um, and so some people are recognizing it, but... <laughs> Just uh, excited that we find a way to celebrate it here at Kent State and honor all of the diversity that we have represented here and look forward to sort of pushing that out into other spaces so that the, the recognition and the awareness can be even broader than just here. Yeah. And Cassie, thanks so much um, for just making that 
point about how International Women's Day IWDs recognized in the US, one of the things I was surprised about when I migrated here was just the lack of attention to that day. I mean, in uh, in Toronto, where I uh, stepped into my my the centeredness of, of my feminism, it was a day of protest of March, mm. but also celebration and strategizing for action. So I was very surprised to see that kind of lacking um, in the parts of the U.S. that I lived. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Amwaba, you just set up a really nice transition to our next question. Thank you for doing that. Uh, because one of the things about this group that's really cool and amazing, quite honestly, is that folks have lived in and been to many different places around the world. So would any of you be willing to speak to how you've seen it celebrated or honored? Yeah, I can. I have uh, two vantage points. Uh, having grown up in Toronto, Canada, similar to um, Abmaba, I've seen it come out, my activism coming out of graduate work, student organizing, uh, class-based movements, LGBTQ uh, and feminist movements. So when International Women's Day, uh, the celebration comes, it, it's both a rally a celebration and also a mandate to uh, initiate discussions with the government and agencies mm -hmm. in addressing uh, inequalities that women face. I was also teaching in the Global South in the Caribbean for 12 years um, uh, in uh, gender and development. And ironically, and based on what Cassie is saying, uh, I think the West sometimes have an arrogance of a post-feminist uh, lens in, in some ways they've been saved from gender inequality or patriarchy. And ironically, in the Global South, our projects, our policies have to be gender sensitive. So mm. the work I was doing, uh, certainly through the University of the West Indies and collaborating with UN women, the government and so forth, and some of the international uh, development agencies from Canada and the US, there was always this basis that it has to have gender equality measures, right? Mm. The assumption in some ways, uh, countries in the global south or particular countries are less um, um, in promoting equality between men and women. So there's a discourse around how sustainability and your society can go forward in terms of development if there is uh, gender inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. But the same is not uh, propagated in the West, even though the indicators around the gender pay gap, violence against women, mm -hmm. reproductive rights is under curtail. And in Barbados, they have one of the most progressive reproductive rights legislations in the English-speaking Caribbean. And compare this to what's happening in the U.S. in terms of a rollback in terms of reproductive rights, it's it disconcerting. So mm -hmm. I think feminists across the world have to understand their privilege and understand that even if they're in an, a post-industrialized country, if you look at the, the variances in terms of the issues of women's lives, there are similarities, even if uh, the nation itself or the nation state propagates this notion mm -hmm. that it's other women in the parts of the so-called global south that need to be liberated somewhere, that it's, it's less inclusive or it's less equal. And for me, for International Women's Day, it's it's about all the world's countries where women are situated and the issues that face them 
uh, on a daily uh, basis in, re in, in regards to in employment in inequality, in terms of childcare, affordable childcare, in terms of women's health, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I just want to share about a little bit about Japan's perspectives too. Absolutely. I said I live here this country 20 years and although I have been checking uh, all the new seats so that I'm not saying that I'm the expert only to be able to talk mm -hmm. about Japanese gender situation but uh, gender equity is much much slower. So the reason why I said that uh, women's International Women's Day is, I feel like it's a start, um, my journey started here. It's partly because that is the time I start to be able to luckily uh, exposed to the, for example, feminist theories, mm -hmm. to be able to see uh, history or the things that society or the all the organization from the different perspective, different voices, or what is hidden, something like that. And then that in Japan right now, it's still poverty level, for example, women, it's um, really high. And the opportunity for the women of the political voices or the higher level in the institution, it's very low. And then every year there is a uh, survey in the worldwide, 138 countries or something like that. In usually Japan is 110 or something. Mm. It's very low, but many people don't recognizing it. So the problem is that it's still hard to voice and then people uh, take it personally that it's that maybe that you don't have enough uh, effort or something. Mm. So it's still not being seen as systematic or that I openly be able to talk. This the International Women's Day for me is like all of three of you are talking about, it's such an important day for me to be remember, be assured the commitment. Mm. And I was just going to add, you both brought this up and I feel like I need to speak to it. I love that you use the word arrogance, Dr. Crawford, because I think about how many conversations I have about the things that we're addressing here and how quickly people here in the United States want to say, oh, well, look what's happening in India or look what's mm -hmm. happening in Rwanda or look what's wherever it is that they're talking about with this sort of, you're right, it's an arrogance. And, and although I haven't traveled, I've been blessed in our space here to be working with a colleague from Nigeria and another colleague from Rwanda. And, and I have this phenomenal book called The Women's Atlas. And we look at that and we talk about like the United States, how many women leaders? Zero. Mm -hmm. Certain countries in Africa, 20 plus women leaders over the years. Like there's just, there's a real disconnect and what people think things are and the reality and talking about in the rebuilding Rwanda with gender equity at the center of that process. I mean, I, I mean, the United States has a ways to go in so many places. And so I, I see International Women's Day as an important opportunity to sort of press ourselves to learn about other cultures and countries and experiences, but also particularly from where I sit, maybe take a pretty hard look about where we actually sit on some of those markers um, and the work that we could be doing here as well. No, and, and I agree with you because I think it was uh, the, um, the news yesterday or a couple of days, white women make 82 cents to every dollar white men make and black women make probably 72 cents to every white man makes, right? Mm -hmm. And from the gender pay gap to black gender pay gap uh, to, and Cassie, you're right, 
political representation, you know, we, you know, in the, on the Beijing platform, um, the uh, sort of organizers pushed for at least 30% representation in terms of parliaments of the world, you know, in, in particular countries. Um, US is not even there, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's in the mid 23 or 24%. So I think that is the, the gaze, the Western gaze that takes place. And it's dangerous. You know why it's dangerous? Because women in this country are suffering right? As a result of the fact that we're looking elsewhere instead of looking within to see where the systemic elements are. Mm -hmm. Shereen, thanks. You know, that actually leads us into kind of the next part of our conversation, the action-oriented. You mentioned uh, looking locally, right, or even nationally. We tend to look externally in other geographical spaces from the U.S., uh, in terms of addressing inequities and systems of oppression. What do you think, or how do you think we can actually honor the lives of women uh, through IWD in terms of actions that we can take? For me, the key areas is employment in terms of women economic inequality, especially working women, um, working class women with children. And I think what is going on, there's still a reproduction of this male breader winner ideology mm -hmm. that gets festered within not only the family, but also in the economy. Also reproductive rights and erotic autonomy. Without that, uh, certainly in the private sphere and women being able to plan pregnancies, make decisions about their bodies and their lives and so forth, that is crucial so that no one other person have the right to infringe on that. We need to pay attention to how even across race and class, the rollbacks on protecting uh, women's right to abortion and, and contraception and anything else also impacts on a woman's ability to work, to provide, to, to plan around the livelihood of her family and also to challenge the elements uh, around violence. And violence has been universal, unfortunately, for the women the world over, right? Intimate partners, violence, sexual violence, and so forth. And I think regardless of the differences that women the world over have, they have mobilized around platforms of ensuring that the state police officers and whomever are res responsive to the type of violence that women uh, experience. So those are three es essential elements. I agree with all the charming, the great big areas we, we need to work with. And then if I adding something to what Charmaine is saying that, I'm very uh, interested in the voices which is hidden, for example, intersectionalities. Like the, there's a gender's voices, but when we say gender, there are many layers, race, socioeconomic background, family structure, and also the women who were abused. So there are so many layers, and then the voices has been uh, covered with different ways not to be smart. How do we really recognize those voices in order to make sure that we empower women? Also, in terms of the, the violence, um, it's painful. There are many levels of violence, and then it's repeat. And it's generational. And then that mm. is really uh, stop the women to think about the possibilities or how many times women can actually stand up. 
what I'm, I try to say is that two things. One is that how can we think about these systematic areas of when the women experience the violence, that how to help them. I feel like it's still not seen from the women's perspectives. The reason why I'm saying is that sometimes when we women go to this area for the support, they we experience the violence. How can we really invest to as a society and then to changing it? Again, going back to that, the voices in order to see the big things and also the, in education, everyday life, it's important to bring in the voices, valuing voices of the women. But I, I feel like that it's small steps, but the important things we can remember to do. I'm over here taking notes. Like these are things I need to go back and check on and learn more about. But one of the things that just really struck me in thinking about International Women's Day is that women make up 52% of the world population. So we're actually the majority. But how often do things like race, sexuality, you know, do these other identities that many carry divide us in terms of lining up along where people are privileged and where people are marginalized? And and I think about the power of coming together, of sort of interrogating that, where we sit in privilege and where we sit, you know, as, as marginalized individuals or to really come to grips with that in a way that we honor those differences and, and fight together for equality across the board. If I'm making progress in one area, if I'm not bull- pulling all of these folks along at the same time or centering those voices that are more marginalized, then it's not really doing the work. And we know there's some recent things in the news that are really pitting women's rights against LGBTQ rights. And like, how many times are we complicit in our own demise because we fall for those things and how important it is to really, really dig deep and think about what's really important and recognizing and celebrating those differences and fighting for causes, even if it's not one that lines up with something that I as an individual experience. Collective action. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Answered perfectly. Intersectional politics. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering also that how can we uh, help each other to have the more strategies? Like we're talking about in race aspect as well. It's very systematic. How can we dismantle Cassie is talking about that it's not individual, but we need to have the collaborative, the voices to make it happen. Being in a smaller nation, an island state, I was in Barbados, women's rights advocate, advocates who certainly span generations call for a holistic approach mm-hmm. to dealing with violence against women, mm-hmm. right? Um, and children. Mm-hmm. So from the NGOs, from the grassroots, to the health sector, to the state, and and so forth. And that is how it has to be promoted. And also public education, right? Too too often at times we say, okay, we have the support systems and people know about it. You need to have that periodic reminder. Uh, U.S. signed on to the, uh, I think there is a, a domestic violence law, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, If I'm not mistaken. Right. So how many people know about that? How many people know how to advocate uh, for women on that? And in terms of the intersectional politics, are we aware of 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 the 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 double jeopardy or triple jeopardy 
that black women and um, indigenous women face as a result of violence and they may not be able to get the resources um, and the help uh, that they need. So I think in this, this uh, uh, sort of uh, this century, we have to learn from the past mistakes, right? So the race, class, gender division, the race, class divisions in, in terms of this nation, in terms of um, um, mainstream feminism, um, marginalizing black women in terms of their activism um, and so forth. Or even when we get a discussion about looking at the intersectionality of gender and sexuality, we might be put it, pitted against each other in terms of policy resources and the like. Thinking about even in the domestic violence amendments in Barbados, um, certainly myself and others were pushing to ensure that um, same-sex couples were also protected mm -hmm. under that leg legislation because they're they're not. Mm -hmm. And guess what? You had the those who are opposed to marriage equality, same-sex couples, saying that we'll kill the bill. Some politicians said we'll kill that bill mm -hmm. if that if that uh, uh, section is included. So this is the, the tough elements of increments and the stages, knowing the context uh, you're in, knowing the environment, knowing the state, maybe knowing the area mm -hmm. and strategizing along the line uh, in relation to that, but not to turn a blind eye to it. So with that and keeping that in mind, right, it takes work uh, and it takes, uh, willingness to have conversations and willingness to tap into other organizations. And Cassie, you already mentioned a book that, uh, you know, I'm going to check out what sorts of resources or organizations would you suggest people tap into in order to learn more, in order to get activated um, or any other things that you would kind of tips of advice for those folks who are listening and, and want to get into it. I read a lot. I don't remember a lot of what I read for long-term, but I love to read and learn. And so that book I mentioned, The Women's Atlas, is just a really good visual display of these very you know, very quick topics. You can look up all different things and it looks at, at women, um, women globally and what their experiences are in reality versus what we think because of what we hear. I also would say there's an organization called Supermajority, which is great pulling people together and really centering um, the most marginalized voices of women. They do a lot in terms of activism and creating change and looking at policy and, and all of those things. There's some bad news about pay equity. AAUW um, just did a new report where they include they do a more comprehensive report that includes other factors like part-time. And they, they went back and looked during COVID and thought like, wait a second, there's a whole bunch of things we're not thinking about here. And, and so there, they have some recent data about pay equity and what that looks like and how it's impacting different populations of women. When it's women's reproductive rights, places like Planned Parenthood or Guttmacher Institute, those are ones that I refer to regularly for some, some data. The U.S. Census has some good data too about pay equity. If you really want to dig in and go there, they do it by state. So you can see, but it's not a global perspective. Um, and that's where something like these, these books, the Women's Atlas and some of the other things do pull in that global perspective. That's just off the top of my head. Yeah, and, and, I, and thanks for that. Cassie, 
it, it is about strategizing on the national state level. So you have the national organizations now, you have the international UN women, but you also have to know in your city, in your state, um, and even in terms of the representative that is representing your, 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 your area or wherever, you need to know what the discussions are, what is on the table. The beauty of using having internet, you could Google, right? <laughs> and once you hear something, you then have to go and do the research. There are a lot of resources, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's where you want to actually uh, put your effort, um, whether locally, uh, nationally, or internationally. Yeah. So like the, uh, Cassie and Charmaine said, there are so many great organizations, like local as well as global, national. But also that uh, the, the, the one of the first book I read for the feminist book was Women's Way of Knowing by, by Belenke. Like I saw that, that it helped me to see how women are separated too, so that, that their voices are separated so that going to find the places to really f- uh, find the organization, a place to start to be able to talk about it. It's so very important. Yeah. I want to give it. I want to give a shout out to people in this this area, this conversation that teach some classes too. Because Dr. Crawford, <laughs> Dr. Crawford knows that she's my new best friend. I'm sure she. <laughs> I'm not sure how she feels about it, but I I saw a syllabus from one of her classes that one of our students was taking, and it was powerful. And I wanted to like give me the reading list. I need to be in on this, you know, and and in that that started me thinking like, I, I, I need to learn more. And who is this person? And I want to find out more about this. So Gamiko, you're next on my list. So just so you know, I'm going to be taking yes, you all your and, classes. <laughs> no, but, I, but I think there's something to be said for that, having that eagerness to learn and to know more and how important it is. Cause we have, no matter where you are, there are incredible resources around you mm-hmm. that you can tap into to learn from, even if it's just asking for a book list of a you know a topic that you know someone's well-versed on. But I think that's really important to have that sort of quest for knowledge and wanting mm-hmm. to make a difference and then figuring out how to do that. I will also say there are places, um, I know our students here on campus are working on it, but there are places where you can learn how to be a change agent in terms of there's an organization called Midwest Academy that has a sort of flow chart that says this is how you do this work um, because it's different than we often think. It's not just a protest. A protest is great for educating, but where's your list of demands and who has the power? Like there are other things that you need to think to be effective to create that change. And Mm -hmm. so it's helpful to tap your colleagues who's doing that work, who's connected with things, because it's one thing to have the interest. It's another thing to know how to strategically do the work. Yeah. And, and, and and Cassie is so right. Um, You need to want to do it. You need to have the will and we can't be complacent. Um, And I think what has happened in the 21st century, because women secured the right to vote, we have more access to education than we'd had in the early 21st century, the 20th century. You understand what I'm saying? There's so many things that we secured. Um, There's a a degree of complacency for those who didn't have to struggle for those things. Mm. But guess what? Rights and uh, hard-fought rights are are not etched in stone. 
their rollbacks and with any social movements, we see that policies can be reversed, leaders could change, positions can change. So um, we need to continue to be proactive yeah. in, in what we're actually um, actually doing. Yeah, I agree. And then that, so it, having the vote for the right, I, I think it's important for us to remember the history, how to get there. And it's not so long time ago at all. We are still a long way to go and to unlearn what we learned and what it really means. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful and powerful conversation. Charmaine, Gamiko, Cassie, we're at the end of our program. I just want to thank you so much for sharing um, just your experiences, your wisdom, your knowledge, your time with us, um, and actually just um, really, I think, educating uh, the community about IWD in all these different spaces. Thank you also, everyone, for tuning in and listening. If you're interested in learning more about DEI, feel free to check out our website at kent.edu backslash diversity. Yeah. And if you want a part two of this conversation, because I think our participants would definitely be into that, yeah. uh, let us know uh, and email us at diversity at kent.edu or connect with us on social media at DEI Kent State across all of our platforms. We'll see you next month with a new episode. And again, thank you to our wonderful guests and the wealth of knowledge that you provided today. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank, Bye. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you.